Okay, so this week we sit down with Ann Dang, newly elected vice president of Kappa. Welcome to Meet the PAs podcast. Here are the experiences of seasoned PAs, up-and-coming development of policy from industry leaders, and the exploration of those new to the career. Interviews done with a Canadian twist at Maple Syrup. yourself and your background, how you became a PA and brought you to today. Okay, so I'm originally born and raised in Toronto and I attended McMaster University for my undergraduate studies. I studied health sciences at McMaster and I decided to do a minor in psychology. I've been involved with a lot of different executive committees. During undergrad, Youth Donors of Canada, I started a mental health initiative there, so I do like volunteering and being involved in that regard. I got into the PA program uh, as part of class of 2011, so I believe just just the year after you. And once I graduated in 2011, I uh, obtained a position through the Career Start program in orthopedic surgery outpatient practice in Burlington. So I had the contract for two years, and that was extended for another year, and then another year after that before they cut funding. Apart from that, uh, I'm an avid baker. (laughs) I love to take dance classes. Um, And I've had an interest in building websites, social media, and tech from a very young age. So that's always kind of been my interest growing up. And yeah, so that's a little bit about myself. So how did you even hear about the PA profession and the PA program back when you entered? It's really interesting because I heard about it back in my third year. What had happened was I was, um, all of my classmates were writing the MCAT, looking into pharmacy and dentistry. I was attending all these different sessions and booths about different careers like naturopath, chiro, physio. And I, I knew that I wanted to do medicine and be in a helping position, but I just didn't know if going to medical school and becoming a physician was the right fit for me. So I got to the point of almost registering for MCAT prep courses, and then I went to my guidance counselor, and she had mentioned that there is a, there is a, there's this new program that McMaster is offering, the PA program, and again, this is back in like 2007, 2008, so quite a while back, and she had mentioned that one of my former classmates, Ohud, Elzebach was was actually a student so we were both in the same year but she finished her undergraduate after three years before getting into the PA program so she was in her first year and I had this opportunity to sit down and have lunch with her and so we we talked she told me about the program I attended the information session led by Dr. John Cunnington back in um, MDCL the third floor and at the time like I had heard of the PA program, but I didn't want to apply until there was at least one class just so that they could sort of work out the kinks and perhaps like, cause at the time there were no working civilian Canadian PAs, right? So everything that we were looking at or that I was looking up was American. So it was definitely, it felt like I was taking sort of a leap of faith in my fourth year. It was the only program I applied to. Luckily I got, I got in. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and 
the thing is, is when I, I entered my first year, and you know how the McMaster PA program the first year is based on the medical school curriculum. They, they literally take cases from the med school curriculum and use it in the PA program. And I thought to myself, you know, if I have the aptitude to get into P the PA program, like, you know, maybe perhaps like, did I really kind of miss out by not going to medical school, like, or not even trying to apply? I had to sort of reiterate the reasons why I wanted to choose the PA profession in the first place. And then after doing clerkship and seeing the lifestyle and the schedules of residents and med students and the differences in lifestyles and opportunities, I just, I knew the PA program was a, a really, really good fit. Probably why we chose it too. Yeah. <laughs> the lifestyle, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Okay, so could you take us back a little bit? You mentioned that you had funding, obviously, the first two years at the orthopedic practice you were at, but then a couple of years later, they actually discontinued the funding. And so was how long were you unemployed for a period of time, and how did you do that transition? So what's interesting is that even though the ministry had cut funding, uh, I suppose within the two years that I had been working there, I had proven my value. So what I had done was I took information from an EMR, uh, learned how to do medical coding and billing, and determined how much he was making and how much he was seeing prior to PA implementation, and then what it was like after a PA had been um, implemented. So just just doing that quick comparison, I was able to demonstrate he was able to double or triple the number of patients he was seeing in a day. He was shortening the number of clinics. The I was tracking also the hours I was spending on forms. Like for every hour that I'm spending talking to patients over the phone, doing patient education, reviewing investigations, doing medical legals, that amount of time is time that the physician is not spending. So even though that's not a monetary value, I was just trying to demonstrate from you know, like a quality of life point of view, ways that I was contributing. Right. Because at the very least, uh, I wanted to prove that I was at least cost neutral and that there were other benefits. Um, and having brought that information, I think the physician was very, he was very happy with my work. He said, this wasn't really necessary for you to do because his wife was extremely happy that he wasn't spending hours after clinic dictating or working on forms or anything like that. So he was very happy with implementing a PA into his practice. So we found different creative ways to make it work. So luckily I haven't, I, I'm still with the same employer that I started with after uh, I graduated, luckily. Uh, but we've, we've, in terms of how I've been working with the physician has somewhat evolved. So it was primarily in an outpatient setting clinics. And then on the days that he was in hospital operating or at the fracture clinic at the hospital, I would be working on medical legals, forms, triaging, just taking that workload off of his shoulders. What we started to add was I became research coordinator, coordinator from some of the clinical studies that he was working on. So rather than hiring someone to do that for him, he could utilize me in that way. Also taking on students for teaching, I was able to help with that regard. And um, lastly, uh, because I'm a full-time employee of this particular physician, the physicians across the hall from us are physiatrists. And they're like, you know, we really like the way that your clinics are working. Perhaps can I work one day a week with your PA? So he, it almost like he sort of rents us out to other physicians. And the hourly rate that we charge those other physicians comes back and helps pay for our overhead. Because I'm not, yeah, I'm not in wow. with him every day of the week. That's sort of different creative ways that we've been able to help pay for overhead. 
uh, recently we were able to get into the fracture clinics. So that's been great. So I've been able to help him out there and he's, he's been finding it really tremendous in terms of just, just efficiency and flow. Yeah, for sure. Fracture clinics are patients always complain. I was there for like five hours and they only saw me for five minutes to be able to speed that up or get people in closer to their appointment time must be so satisfying. So to recap, you spend typically about two days a week in the clinic. You spend a couple days a week on doing paperwork and research coordinating. And then the remainder of the time is split between fracture clinic and kind of rent a PA day. Essentially two two to three, uh, two to three clinics per week in admin day. And then one day with fracture clinic. And then sometimes one day is dedicated to teaching. So I do occasionally go down to U of T and we'll do a session here and there. Awesome. Nice. Nice. Could you explain a little bit about your level of autonomy and how that maybe has changed from day one or year one to now here we are like year six and also talk a little bit about how your medical directives are working especially considering that you are under a couple other physicians one day a week so I just wanted to preface this with because of the OHIP billing rules with regards to specialists my physician has taken the schedule of benefits and taken that general preamble and we, we interpret it literally. So in order for a, an MD to bill for the work that a PA has done within a specialty practice, they have to be, there has to be meaningful involvement within that setting. And I've seen this model within the ER um, as well as other orthopedic surgery practices. So how that works uh, is direct supervision. And what that means was within the first year, uh, the first two weeks, I just shadowed the physician. Maybe the first one or two clinics, I would shadow him, get a better understanding of what his style was in terms of his history taking, what special tests he likes to use on exam, what he looks for on investigations, and what kind of criteria the patient has to meet in order to be an operative patient versus non-operative, as well as his uh, spiel that he likes to do for his pre-op to post-op. Like, um, <laughs> I essentially kind of learned how to be an extension of him. And that shadowing period was really important because then I could sort of understand what his workflow was and where a PA could really make a difference in terms of improving the workflow. So then in the um, in the next few weeks, uh, we started with, um, I was operating very similar to a clinical clerk where I would go in and do a history and physical examination, come out of the room, case present to the physician, and then we would go in together and he would finish off the patient encounter. And of course he could bill for that interaction because he was meaningfully uh, involved. So then as that, uh, as that evolved and I got more comfortable with my scope of practice, my abilities and what I was able to do, we started, uh, so he was, we started that I was doing the history, physical, I was helping to interpret the investigations, come out, case present, and I would do a uh, proposal for a plan. So management and plan in terms of physiotherapy, prescriptions, whether we're going to be going for operative management. And and then the physician would go and would either agree or disagree. Now, most of the time he just agrees. And it's like, yep, I think that's great. Um, he'd go <laughs> yeah, and finish yeah. off the patient encounter so he can bill for that. And then I start on the next patient doing their history and physical. So usually what that involves is preparing all of the investigations ahead of time and printing out all of the prescriptions. I've developed a lot of patient education handouts because most patients are usually, they kind of draw a blank once they leave the, the room. They don't really remember what the um, physician may have talked about. 
So they're able to take that home. We've been able to develop that as well. So we're having two, two clinicians seeing patients at the same time. And I've essentially done 75 to 80% of the work. And the physician just agrees or disagrees and then just goes right. in and finishes yeah. off the encounter, which is great because uh, it, it, runs, it runs very, very smoothly. So that's, that's the model that we work under right now. Um, we did try to experiment with the idea of a PA running just a clinic on their own autonomously, uh, but right now the physician wouldn't be able to, to bill for it. And I believe he's... It, the funding is the problem. The funding of that is the Exactly. Problem. Yeah, the mm-hmm. way we bill in Ontario is the issue. Yeah, for sure. Have you noticed like a huge change in wait times for patients to get in and be assessed now that there are two clinicians in Absolutely. the clinic? Absolutely. I would say that it has changed. I would have to ask the administrative assistant the wait times. So the wait times to see the orthopedic surgeon has gone down substantially. It used to be like eight months to a year or more, at least in our practice in Burlington. I know wait times differ from city to city, um, but we're getting closer to yeah. three or more months. And I mean, if we could add a PA-only clinic where we do non-complex, perhaps uh, soft tissue consultations, that'd be even, we could even whittle that down quite a bit more. But That's awesome. Yeah, but the thing is, is that there's usually two wait times with regards to the orthopedic surgeon. There's the wait time to see the surgeon and then the wait time to surgery. So he still gets yeah. only one OR day a week. And so that... And thus far, you are not in the OR with him. No, that is something that we are working on. And it's been a little bit difficult, but uh, because there's just these hurdles we have to overcome. But if PAs were regulated in Ontario, it would be a substantially easier hurdle to overcome. Yes. Yep, for sure. (laughs) On that note, basically on exactly on that note, sort of what do you, other than regulation or speaking to regulation, what do you think are the biggest hurdles that PAs in Ontario and PAs in Canada are facing right now? Um, With regards to the biggest hurdles, I would say, let me see here. So apart from regulation, I think the next step would be expansion to all provinces. I know that, for instance, New Brunswick has had a um, PA pilot project, which is great. There's like two PAs working in the ER, but they haven't really gone beyond that. And I know and they've been there for a long time and they have Mm -hmm. been there for a long time. And like the evidence is there in terms of the studies that prove that PAs have been integrated. They've been integrated successfully into other provinces, into the Canadian healthcare system, and they've been proven to be doing well in the States. So being able to expand into other provinces is, is I think, uh, something that I would like to see happen as well as the funding models and billing abilities, because I think if there's the way to, to pay and integrate PAs, it would make it substantially easier. They're one in, I think they're almost yeah, one in agree. the same. Yeah, they're, they, one without the other doesn't make sense. They need to go together. Mm-hmm. Do you see that thoughts about PAs and, and knowledge about PAs are changing over time in, in Ontario and Canada? Do you feel like things are improving in that direction? And what things specifically do you expect to see change around the corner in the profession? Aside from like, I mean, the funding model and and regulation is a bit longer term and a little bit more complex within the province, but on a shorter term scale, like within the next one to two years, what specifically do you think we're going to see change in the, in a positive fashion? What would you like to see change? (laughs) All of the above, I guess, um, apart from regulation, funding, billing, PA integration, I think what I would really, really like to see is just excite more excitement around the PA profession, especially when it comes to employers. So, you know, we're preaching to the choir when we're talking about, you know, how great PAs are. Like, I know PAs know that PAs are 
are impactful. Are great. Um, <laughs> a, a huge misconception that I, I usually talk to physicians and when I, when I speak to other physicians and residents and med students, like they've heard of a PA, they maybe know someone that is a PA, but it's just like there's knowledge of the profession, but they're not really in the decision-making process of, um, do I actually need to hire a PA for my practice? I would love to get to a point where people feel like it's a huge investment to have a PA come on, where there's going to be an improvement in their workload, quality of life. Like everybody needs an assistant. And physicians are already used to delegating to residents, medical learners, PA students. I think that I would love to see more employer awareness and give physicians some kind of working model to show that, you know, one, one reaction I get sometimes is like, I can't afford it. I can't afford you guys. You guys are too expensive. But I believe that's actually a false misconception. I believe that if you're creative, if you do your research and if you if you really break down the numbers and have certain goals that you're trying to set, that a PA can be cost neutral in terms of money, I guess, at the end of the day, or even generate money for your practice, depending on how you utilize the PA. So I guess it's just a selling point for physicians to show that um, in addition to like, you know, there isn't just the monetary value of a PA, like every hour they spend with the patient doing forms, medical legals is an extra hour that you have to focus on other things, whether it's more complex patients, academia, doing research, spending more time with your family. Like, I think it's definitely a worthy investment, especially if you hire the right PA for your practice. And I know that a lot of our fellow colleagues are just working examples of that. So that's what I would like to see more of. I think more physician awareness, because at the end of the day, they are our supervisors in terms of the model that we work with within Ontario. Assuming that you are... Um successful and elected to the CAPA board, what is would be your approach to help get employers and get PAs involved with future employers and build that excitement? So I find that uh, I, I've been looking to my supervising physicians for examples of sort of this model. So this I had this idea, but basically we get a couple of inquiries about how can I work with a PA from physicians when our supervising physicians tell their super like their physician friends about you know, I, I just recently hired this PA. This is this is great. It's made such a huge difference to my practice. And, you know, we can sort of preach to physicians, but I feel like it's different when it's coming from fellow mm-hmm. colleagues. I used to work with a physician, Dr. Wong, before he moved to Nova Scotia. And he worked with Ohud, actually, prior to him moving. And what they did was they, they had a, a presentation. So it was an orthopedic surgeon presenting to other orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic surgery residents about how a PA was being used in his That's practice. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, they demonstrated the model and there were a lot of good questions afterwards. It would have been neat to see like what physicians from that session actually ended up following up or um, making communication with that. But I think having conversations with physicians, not just like, you know, you know, PAs are great, they save the healthcare system money, but actually going in and give them, giving them practical tips and examples and models of how PAs have been used in different practices, whether that's presenting at family med conferences, um, doing a quick presentation on rounds, for instance, at, at different hospitals, or even like if we were to have family health team meetings or CHC meetings, I don't know, perhaps we could sort of lure them in with coffee or lunch and be like, this is a lunch and learn. So that way it's not taking up too much of their time and just quickly show them a colleague of theirs that has implemented a PA successfully. And these are the tools and these are the steps that you follow. Uh, I think we're just 
trying to enable physicians to do that. Like that's be, an idea that I had. That would be awesome. So I think being able to have, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think having that conversation would be, would actually, I feel like that it would be very impactful. Yeah. In terms of PA employment and integration. Because yeah, when you when you have your supervising physician and they're like, oh, this is fantastic. I can't believe this. I didn't know what I did without you before. Blah blah blah. It'd be nice if they took that out, and said that to other physicians and right. made other physicians think, hey, maybe I should look into this. Like getting them to actually do that instead of just you know saying it to you or you know their immediate colleagues, but actually you know convincing them to go out and make that part of their something they want to do would be awesome. Exactly. Okay, so we know that you do a lot for the PA profession online. Could you mm -hmm. give listeners just a, a short snippet and introduction as to what you do on in the online world and the tech world? And your website. Okay. It's a very loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, how it started was I just, I love journaling and scrapbooking and I've been building websites since I was 12, so I've wow. had this thing about documenting my life. Like, it's just something I really enjoy doing. So when I got into PA school, it just kind of felt natural to document what I was doing as a PA, but my earlier blog entries about, like, my rotations were pretty rough, so I've kind of put... Those are no longer published, but anyway. <laughs> so how it, how it started was, like like many of my fellow PA colleagues, I would get a lot of questions from friends and family and former classmates about the PA profession. And I found that a lot of the questions were the same. So what I do is I'd save these email drafts of these questions. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of tedious to have to go in and copy and paste, copy and paste and answer these same questions over and over. Like, why don't I just put this on an online platform and, you know, answer the questions there. So when I started doing that, the, it started to get more views and more followings and then the PA community became aware of it. So through that, I was able to reach out to Kappa and volunteer my design services with them. That includes like putting together posters, infographics, things like that. I love working with Photoshop, InDesign, Final Cut. Like I just, I just love being able to create. I think that I'm a little bit of, I just like working with my hands and creating things. Like that's just, I, I just suppose that that's what I really enjoy doing. So it was just sort of a way to uh, combine my love of social media with the PA profession. And uh, so in addition to that, I started on Twitter, first posting uh, as sort of a general Canadian PA account and then as myself. And then that started to grow as I started to share more information. And I think a lot of my inspiration actually comes from American PAs. There are so many of them down there. Uh, they have great camp. They have a PA week. Yes, they do. <laughs> They're featured on the news. They're all over social media. They have great advocacy groups. Each state has their own has their own association, and there's tons of PA led businesses like PA coaching, PA mentoring, PA, PA on clinics too. PA on clinics, mm -hmm. uh, recruiting, consulting, publications. Like some PAs run their own um, scrub clothing business. Like it's. And there's, for instance, I, I recently added myself on Instagram, and there's a huge community of PAs that are on Instagram, primarily students, because I think it's like a younger generation thing as well. But uh, I think that it'd be nice for Canadians to have that as well. And I think we're Definitely. starting we're starting to see that. Like, I mean, if we're not 
on these different platforms, engaging in conversations, then we're not we're not part of the conversation, right? So, yeah. So it's it's good. I've been seeing a lot of PA students and PAs getting on Twitter, even engaging in um, like Facebook groups are are a big thing now for uh, whether you're in the private or public sector uh, in terms of networking. Because I think we're getting away from working in silos. Like, for instance, I so Dr. Smith actually works with two physician assistants, and I also work alongside Denise O'Leary, who's our Ontario yes. chapter president. Yep. And like at the beginning of the year, um, when she first she's taking over maternity, so when she started with us, she would always tell me about you know, you know, there's more than one oncology PA working in Ontario, but they often think that they're the only one, and they don't know where to get resources or collaborate. Yeah. So we started this idea of these Facebook uh, specialty networking groups. And often adding people to these groups, they're like, I had no idea there were like 15 of us in Ontario. So yeah. it's a way to- Specialty groups are awesome. Cause yeah, you can really ask questions that are relevant to your practice. And just, you know, generally being a PA in Canada, it's tricky at the moment. Um, so it's nice to have yeah. that group to just feed, get feedback on and see yeah. if, how other people feel the way if you do. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that's exactly how I felt. I thought I was the only oncology and palliative care PA in Canada, let alone Ontario. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few of you actually. Yeah, surprisingly enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to know you're not alone and that, that there are other PAs that are having similar challenges in terms of integration or longevity of uh, employment. So it's good to be able to tackle that and let each other know about job opportunities. And funding models and what's worked in your practice. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Just the sharing of ideas. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Okay, so, so you have your, your blog. Could you website? Um, so it's canadianpa.ca. Essentially, it's a resource for um, patients, pre-PA students that are interested in getting into the PA program, currently practicing PAs, and I ho I, I'm hoping to create a section eventually for employers. The idea I had specifically was just downloadable PDFs where they could check things off a list in terms of like a needs assessment for their clinic. Like, mm. am I, you know, I think there are a couple of characteristics of a supervising physician that are sort of necessary if you're going to work successfully with a PA, oh, including sure. the ability to delegate. If yes. you can't, if you struggle to even hand off like work to your, just to fellows or residents, then, and if you're very particular and protective of your practice, it might be a little bit more challenging to integrate versus someone who's happy to hand that off. Definitely. Okay. So right now it's very, it's focused on students, PA students, some current practicing PAs, and you hope to continue to expand that. And that's CanadianPA.ca. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then you're also all over Facebook and part of the Facebook yes. groups. Yes. <laughs> you should be able to find me there. Yes. yes to all of our benefit. Uh, right. Exactly. <laughs> you are also on LinkedIn, correct? Yes. Yep. And okay. how do you, how do you manage your, your LinkedIn account in terms of PA awareness and networking? So if I see that someone's a Canadian PA, I will add them on LinkedIn. Regardless, okay. regardless of whether or not I've, I've met them, because I feel like sooner down the line, I probably will meet them, yeah. whether through <laughs> conferences or if they have any questions. And then from time to time, because I do have some physicians on there, just because of my supervising physician, I'll, I'll post updates about PA uh, funding, specifically career start, like, oh, you know, the funding's out, the deadline's in 30 days, like, make sure you read over this, I'll 
link to it, kind of try to make it easy to, to share. So that's awesome. Yeah. And then you also have an Instagram account that, that people can follow in the PA profession. Yep. That's uh, at Canadian PA blog because Canadian PA was taken. Ah, <laughs> that's the handle there. Oh, funny. Canadian PA was taken. Okay. So we should follow whoever Canadian PA is as well. <laughs> and do you plan to uh, attend the Kappa conference in Ottawa in 2017? Yes, absolutely. And I hope everyone attends, <laughs> especially since it's in Ontario. It's not as far as Nova Scotia or Winnipeg, which is where it's been in the past. So, yeah, yeah. I hope so too. I hope so too. Oh, what do you think are the like? biggest misconceptions about PAs right now in Canada? Um, the biggest misconception, well, I touched on one previously was I can't afford a PA. I think that the term physician assistant, meaning medical assistant or administrative assistant, sometimes I do see job postings on indeed.ca um, advertising for physician assistant, but when you look at the job description, it's actually a medical secretary. Yes, I see that too. Yep, we've noticed that too. Yeah. <laughs> So I know that some of us do make an effort to contact those employers and be like, look, you, you should probably take down the posting or modify it. And another one is the misconception. I'm not sure if you ladies bump into this a lot, but from a lot of patients or a lot of, from a lot of patients, I, I get asked like, how long are you in school for? Like, what's your next step? So when are you going to be an orthopedic surgeon? And I'm like, actually, this is it. Like, this is my job. And I've been working for my supervising physician for a long time. And another thing yeah. too, I was speaking with a colleague the other a few weeks ago um, that you know I'm about speaking with physicians about being just an assistant. Uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of PA students who go through rotations, um, and I've experienced this as well, where the physician will say, "Well, ba you're basically doing everything that the clinical clerk is doing. Like, why don't you just go all the way? Why don't you just become a physician and not just be just an assistant?" But I think what they don't realize oh. is that we've chosen the profession yeah. our whole for a reason for a reason. We're an extension of a physician. There's a lot of ways that we can grow within the profession, whether it's research, teaching, academia, advocacy, entrepreneurship, for instance, joining hospital boards. Like there is a reason. And I know that they're very well meaning. They're only trying to let you know that you're you're excellent, you're intelligent, you they see you as one of their own, like their colleagues. But at the same time, I think there's a, a ways to go in terms of building respect and knowledge about the profession in terms of what we're able for to sure. do. For sure. I get that question. So when are you done school? Because I've seen you here for years all the time. And yeah. I'm like, no, I'm done. I've been done since I've been working here. Like, it, yeah, it's kind of, it's endearing because they're like, oh, when are you going to be my doctor? And you're like, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want to be. I can't be. I don't want to be. But I'm happy to help you sort of thing. So, I mean... It used to really bug me and now I try and see it as an opportunity to sort of better explain the physician assistant role and what we do and sort of like why I chose this because yeah it sort of it often leads into that question oh so you're not going to be a doctor well why not you're yeah. already doing a lot of the things that the physician would do and so the, the two questions end up being fairly linked at least in mm -hmm. my experience and yeah it used to bother me because I'd have to explain it over and over again but now I sort of take it as an opportunity to sort of really explain it to patients and be like, this is why I didn't do it. This is what we do, you know, mm -hmm. be, you know, try and be like, you should talk to other people about seeing the PA and how awesome they are. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Promote us. Good. Good. If I think that that covers a lot of things, anything else, Anne, that you feel like we missed and that 
would be good for the topic of conversation? Um, no, I think we more or less covered it. Um, yeah, no, this was, this was great. Good. So if people, um, have further questions for you or would like to contact you, you're okay with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you would like them to contact you through, uh, what's your preferred method of contact? I actually find LinkedIn really good. So if people would prefer to message me that way, Okay. But I would respond to whatever social media platform you end up choosing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will we'll link on the, when we post this uh, interview. We will link all of your all of your platforms so people can easily contact you. And we will preface to go to LinkedIn. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. And then of course everybody should check out CanadianPA.ca. It's rare, it's really quite a fabulous blog. You obviously yeah, put in a lot of effort. Excellent. I Thank love you. that. Web you page. put in a lot of effort. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Take care. Meet the PA's podcast is sponsored by pahelpers.ca, where you can find all your Canadian exam prep needs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit us at mtppodcast.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we would love your feedback.